0: This is Stacy Eldridge, welcome to Captivated. This world vies for our attention in a thousand different ways, but the most important thing, the preeminent thing, the essential thing, is to give our attention to Jesus. Welcome dear ones, Stacy here. I'd love for you to take a moment right now, before we start, and just check in with your heart. Do an internal assessment. How are you now? Put some words to it in your own heart. Okay, good. It's just good to check in. It's just good to take a barometer of how are we, how am I feeling, and then to bring it. To Jesus, because we are all welcome in any and every state we may find ourselves in. We are always held in the gaze of Jesus' love. I want to start today by praying with you. Father, thank you for your love. Together we pray that you would clear away every doubt and every piece of debris that has blocked our hearts from knowing you as you truly are and from knowing who we really are because of you. Carry them away in your mighty waters. Refresh our parched souls with your living streams. Come to every weary place that we might rest in you. We look to you with hopeful expectation, dear Jesus. We praise you and we pray in your name. Amen. Okay, good. So today, with you, I'm going to begin by sharing something that I wrote for the last issue of the Ancense magazine. It's a little piece. It's me talking, and I'm going to read it. So off we go. Let it be known that I hate endings, partings, Goodbyes. Even a see you later can be fraught with emotion for me when I don't have any idea when the later will be. We have had horses for 17 years. They've been boarded at Wolf Ranch, which is three minutes from our home. One of them was Cocolo, a gorgeous paint, Blaine's horse. But when Blaine got busy in high school and then moved away first to college and then to grad school, well, he was John and my horse. He was a noble horse, regal as only a horse can be regal. He was mighty, yet gentle, opinionated, yet never once reared up in all his years. When colic took his life, oh so suddenly, five years ago, the loss of him was heartbreaking to us all, heartbreaking. Even if Kokolo hadn't seen Blaine for nine months, he would rejoice in recognition, winning delight at their reunion. In Kokolo's heart, though I know he loved John and me, he remained Blaine's horse. Blaine was the only one who could leap onto Kokolo's back with no saddle and together run in glory. It was a sight to see. But it was me who took care of Kokolo most of the time for many years. It was me who gave him grain and groomed him. It was me who took him out to the pasture and brought him back in. Me who tended him when ill. Me who waited while the vet did her thing. Me who stood mostly patiently by, holding him steady while the farrier cared for him. It was me with all of them. I admit... That I am aware that my memory plays tricks on me now, enlarging my role. It certainly wasn't always me, not even close. But still, I have my memories. I have those years. I didn't grow up with horses. I didn't dream of them as a child or as an adult. My husband did all three. In my 40s, they were thrust upon me, though I was willing In those early years, my heavenly father was teaching me a whole new terrain of my heart through them, calling me to rise up and learn, to not give in to fear at the horse's power, but to become strong, to grow, to love them, to let them heal me in ways I didn't know I needed. And I did. I studied. I worked. I grew. I healed. My heart changed, enlarging in places to the shape of a horse. Cocolo's long-term companion is Whistle. He's a beautiful bay with two white socks on his rear legs. He was a cutting horse in his youth, a fine pedigree and a stunning horse. People always ask about his line. Whistle is gentle yet needs much assurance, coming close and nuzzling often. Whistle is John's horse. A natural horseman, only John could give Whistle the assurance he needed. Watching them together was a living symphony. John, so at home on Whistle, Whistle exhibiting his glory stride by stride. Whistle got injured six years ago. He can no longer be ridden, but his beauty is not diminished. Still, the loss of that glory stung. The vet thought we should consider putting him down. John gave an unequivocal no. And nursed Whistle slowly, day by day, over many months, back to the place where he could walk again without a limp. And now, well, now Whistle can run. When Kokolo died, the cries from Whistle lasted for two days. Sounds no one at the stable had ever heard come from a horse before. Sounds that would break your heart. Whistle grieved for months. Perhaps he grieves still. I know he remembers. We sure do. This stable provided new companionship for Whistle, so he wasn't alone, but none of these horses were Cocolo. the horse he had grazed with, run with, and sometimes been run off by for 17 years. It's been hard. Today, Whistle was trailered by John off the ranch. He has known for the better part of his life, He's going to live on Blaine's farm now. He got into the trailer easily, but became anxious once inside, whinnying for his old life. We prayed. I pray even now. Peace to his heart. Peace and ease to the transition. He's moving an hour away. He will be cared for and loved well and soon meet a new companion horse. I'm so grateful that he is tucking in even more closely to our family. I will still see him though not nearly as often. No, not nearly as often. I've been going to Wolf Ranch two times a day for the better part of 17 years. Today was an ending, a goodbye, a passing with no see you later to the place. In my life, I have lived through too many goodbyes, the endings of friendships, Jobs, projects, relationships, my children's childhoods, and the lives of those I love. I have sat with my soul and its mysteries until it could truly name the sorrow born of loss. Yes, endings are beginnings in disguise, but sometimes the beginning won't be seen for a very long time, and the over must be honored and grieved. I have shed many tears. I know you have too. And as Gandalf said to Sam, not all tears are an evil. Back at the ranch, I took pictures of Whistle's stall, the stall that used to be Cocolo's, the stalls I have wept with Whistle in as I told him my sorrows and my secrets, caring for him, singing to him, tending to him, and praying over him. I paid attention to the fragrance, listening to the unique sound of my footsteps on the sandy gravel, soaking it all in. I stood and remembered the place of learning, the place of apprenticeship, the place of challenge and beauty and longing and fathering and loss and love. I wept, my heart clenching in my chest, my tears falling and longing to hold on to the goodness and my soul almost bursting with the hope of the end to endings that can't come soon enough. Friends, I know that we have all endured endings in our lives. You certainly have. Endings of seasons, things we've loved, sometimes the ending of a restriction to physical abilities that now prevent us from being able to do what we were able to do in the past. We've had to say goodbye to things we love, places we've loved, animals we've loved, and people we love. And it's hard it's painful. Oh, Jesus, come. Heighten and deepen our longing for you and our awareness of your goodness in the midst of it all. What I want to talk about today with you beyond endings is regret and its wicked cousin, resentment. The death that comes from it and the antidote for it, the freedom from it, the healing that is available when you've suffered from it at the hands of others and when you've been trapped by it towards someone or something else, small or huge, impacting or defining the change that can come off, the intervention of Jesus, the cure, the setting free from the trap the resurrection to life from the effects of death, and simply the reality of it all in our lives. And simply the reality of it in all of our lives. For me, losing our horses led to grief, but also to feeling regret over all the missed moments and opportunities I had had with them. Alfred Lloyd Tennyson wrote, Deep as first love and wild with all regret, O oh, death and life, the days that are no more. William Ernest Henley wrote, "For deeds undone, rankle and snarl and hunger for their due, till there seems not so despicable as you. I've got to say that this is the experience of regret without God. With God, regret is a wholly different thing. There is regret that doesn't lead to despair or to resentment. It's when our hearts are surrendered to and honest with God, when we invite him into it. Then we are intimately and ultimately held in the promise of the renewal of all things, when God makes all things new and nothing is lost. We need to shepherd our hearts unto that truth a little while back, a friend who wishes to remain anonymous wrote this poem on a Monday morning titled, Regret. Regret sneaks up like a sleepless Monday morning, taunts you like a playground bully, telling you what you shoulda, coulda done differently. Shame accompanies, has some choice names for you. It plays on repeat over and over again, cringeworthy, Because now you know, you know, you wouldn't have done that, or you definitely would have done that. And that's the victory. You learned what you did wrong. You wouldn't regret it if you didn't learn it. You wouldn't ever go back unless you learned the lesson. You learned, you've grown, you've changed. With God's help and your willingness, you're not who you were. Here's the reality you can't go back but you can go forward fully with the knowledge of the lesson learned, redemption, renew, reclaim the here and now, walk into more by leaving regret behind, even now, even on a Monday. That's so good. Because friends, we all have regrets. We all have moments where we wish our lives came with a a do-over button or we wish we could go take back words we have spoken or actions we have done or didn't do and wish we had no one lives a perfect life and hindsight is 2020 you know that with any change or loss comes the temptation to embrace regret to look back and grieve real or imagined lost opportunities failures to love well sorrow over wounds inflicted and missed moments Of course, there were missed moments. Of course, we wish we would have done, you name it, better. We are imperfect people with clay feet, increasingly being transformed into the very image of Christ. We are on our way. So what is the remedy for regret? True, weighty regrets? Faith. Faith in the redemptive power of God. God. Faith that Jesus means it in Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. All things. Faith that he takes our ashes and makes it into beauty. He turns despair into praise. We can choose to believe him. We can have faith that we are not to be weighed down and burdened by disappointments or personal failures from our past, haunted by what didn't happen that we wish had or by what did that we wish hadn't to us, by us. By faith, we choose to believe that God is bigger than our limited understanding, faith that our God redeems it all. Jesus, come for us. Come for all. Listen to me, dear one, stay in Christ, stay in faith, seek his face, kneel at his feet, trust his heart, follow his lead, and ask for his perspective. As a 64-year-old woman, I would be lying if I said I was never tempted to entertain regrets. Sometimes we have to weigh it out. Is this regret coming to my mind because God wants to bring deeper clarity to me about the past, or deeper repentance from me about the situation, or deeper healing to me over it? Ask him. He's always after our good. He does want us to take our thoughts captive to him, not be captives locked in a spiral of regret. God does not want us to be held captive by anything other than his love. Okay, I said I was going to talk about regrets, wicked cousin. So here we go. Resentment. Let me illustrate it by telling you a story. My dad always wanted an English setter puppy. Do any of you remember those? You don't see them much anymore. They're large, gorgeous animals, reddish in their coat. In the last year of my father's life, my parents finally got one. My dad loved him. My father was ill, but he was mobile, but still he did not have the strength to train a puppy. My mother was coping with caring with my father. And because of her unhealed emotional wounds and unaddressed past, part of that coping involved keeping a pristine home. She'd always managed her heart by doing that. I mean, even the baseboards were spotless. She once got mad at me for walking across the carpet to get to my bed one night because she had vacuumed that day and I made footprints and messed it up. Okay, you get the idea. Intense. Cue puppy. Q nose prints on the glass sliding door. Cue training. Cue resentment. The puppy lasted two weeks. In my husband's and my work, we have the privilege of hearing many people's stories, the story of their lives, the story of how their heart's deepest questions were answered, the deepest one being, do you love me? It's a question that we all have and one that children bring primarily to their father, but their mother plays an essential role here. Children you know are meant to be delighted in, to be cared for, spoken into, told how amazing they are, be provided for in every single way they need. Safety, good touch, emotional support. But the key way, the main way, is for them to know they are loved. Every child needs it. I needed it. You need it. And friends, love covers a multitude of sins. Children need to know they are beloved. You needed to know it, and you still do. One woman, let's call her Amy, heard it a lot from her father when she was growing up. He delighted in her. He loved spending time with her out in the garden and out in the workshop. He spoke to her with words and with actions that Amy was his beloved daughter. And her mother was envious of it. Her mother felt that her husband should be lavishing his delight on her, not on her daughter. She believed he had a limited amount of love and he was spending it all on Amy. She became bitter. She withheld her delight over Amy. She refused to offer anything. To her little girl, certainly not love. She didn't love her. She resented her. Her daughter, she believed, had taken the love her husband had to give, all of it, and had left nothing for herself. Just play that out in your imagination. What do you think happened? What do you think happened to that marriage? What do you think happened to that daughter? I'll tell you, the wound in that little girl's heart was vast because to save the marriage, the father began to ignore his little girl. And Amy's heart withered. Like the puppy that left my parents' home, Amy's heart went away, banished. Unwanted, wounded, emotionally, she left. Resentment does that. It kills. And resentment, it enters our lives in a myriad of ways. You don't get very far along in years without knowing both regret and resentment. What about when we are not asked to offer something in our community or family that we'd love to, and someone else is? Someone else always is. Brene Brown. Whatever you think of her has some insight here. She wrote, it's not merely benign or too bad if we don't use the gifts that we've been given. We pay for it with our emotional and physical well-being. When we don't use our talents to cultivate meaningful work, we struggle. We feel disconnected and weighted down by feelings of resentment, shame, and even grief. Friends, we're meant to offer. We're meant to play our role. We're meant to be seen. We're meant to be invited. Resentment may grow in us when we are not. But we can also fall into resentment when we feel that too much is being asked of us. I went through a season of resenting when the phone rang. Someone was going to be asking something of me, and I felt in my bones that I had nothing to give. We can harbor resentment and it can be harbored against us when others are doing well and we aren't, or when we're doing well and others aren't. It's actually so much easier to come alongside someone when they are struggling than to come alongside when they are soaring. To grieve with them while they grieve is simpler than to rejoice when they rejoice. That requires a deeper character and a deeper walk with God. Perhaps perhaps you've sensed that in your own life. You may withhold good news. You sense it would not be wise to share. You don't want to gloat, but you also do not want to incite envy or resentment. Okay, I am going to talk about the cure, But first, let's unpack the pain and suffering, the reality of the sorrow that is embedded in resentment a little more, and acknowledge together the pain it has wrought, the shame of feeling it, and the trap from the enemy that it is. Resentment is the feeling of indignation at having an experience of unfair treatment Resentment has a lasting effect and can cause serious damage to your mind, your body, of course, your relationships, including your love affair with Jesus. If you hold on to it for too long, you withdraw. You don't trust so easily. You withhold. Your stress increases. Over time, it can actually lead to serious health problems. It's a form of low grade anger but it's more defensive than its aggressive parents. It's triggered by a perception of unfairness, of not getting the praise, reward, consideration, or affection to which one feels entitled, may be entitled. It shares the physiological characteristics of anger, but it's less intense and lasts much, much longer. Where anger when directed at others, is an aggressive exertion of power to get someone to back off or submit to what you want, either in reality or in your imagination. Resentment is a defensive way of mentally devaluing and retaliating against those whom you perceive to be acting unfairly. In our humanity, we are hypersensitive to being treated unfairly. And resentment like anger, it makes it virtually impossible to see other perspectives in anything approaching objectivity. It's highly susceptible to confirmation bias. Resentment leads to guilt, shame, sadness, and grief. Resentment can be directed at an action, a statement, a person, or God. And if you don't, Address it, it gets worse. Now, a little bit about offense because that's generally what births resentment. They're related. Offense is a noun, it's an affront, a wounding, an insult, or injury. Whereas resentment is defined as ill will stemming from a feeling of having been wronged or offended. Offenses lead to resentment both imagined ones and actual ones. Luke 17, one says, it is impossible that no offenses should come. And don't we know it? People we are close to can offend us deeply. The Greek word for offend comes from the word scanned, which originally referred to the part of the trap to which the bait was attached to catch an animal. The word signifies laying a trap in someone's way. Offense is one of Satan's most deceptive tactics. Well, by itself, it's not deadly. If we allow it to grow in our hearts, it produces resentment and bitterness. Paul in Acts 24, 16 says, And herein do I exercise myself, to have always a conscience Void of offense toward God and toward men. That's a high standard. It's a high call and it's ours. By the grace of God and his life within us, continually dispensing his power, we have it. But we have to be diligent to not take the bait of offense. Mercy beloveds of God all of us are on this journey of growing into who we are meant to be and it involves a journey of healing we all need it because no one gets through this life without pain and suffering no one has not been offended wronged treated unjustly jesus is acquainted with grief and he has come to heal our broken hearts and to set us free from every place and way they have been wounded. Because where we remain wounded, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to believe lies about ourselves, about others, about our life, and about our God. We're vulnerable to take offense and live with resentment. We're vulnerable to live lives lower than we are intended to and less than we want to. And so God has come and he keeps coming to heal us, to free us, to loose us into the kingdom, to rise. You remember, we have talked about this. You remember when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. He came out of the water, the dove descended, and the father of all creation, Yahweh, just spoke. There's only a handful of times in the scriptures when God just speaks so that everyone can hear at the same time. Why did he speak? What had him so excited that he just broke out in joy? Jesus had him so excited. This is my beloved son. Now, if Jesus actually needed to hear this from his father, that he was loved, how important do you think it is for us to hear it every day, every moment in the midst of our mundane, in the midst of our suffering, our pain, our endings, where we're tempted to believe the worst, to have regrets, he wants us to know it. We are loved. Friends, your Heavenly Father wants you to know to the core of your being that you are delighted in, that you are worth pursuing, that you are deeply, immeasurably loved. When we are grounded in love, when we know to the very fiber of our being that we are the treasure of our God's heart and that we will be abundantly provided for, that he always has us on his mind, we are safe, secure, held, strong. We don't fall to the deadly peril of comparison so easily. We trust. Offenses bounce off. Resentment loses its grip. We need more healing. Because we are vulnerable to resentment when we are operating from a compromised state. And we are operating in a compromised state more than we know. We need a savior. We have one. We don't have to live with or be tormented by or entertain resentment any longer. How? What's the antidote to resentment? Well, it's forgiveness. Forgiveness is the only way to become free. And we forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. After a desperately painful wounding, one that was probably the biggest in my life, I had to walk a long road for healing. First I was racked with guilt and shame searching out the ways that I had caused it myself and then I felt God's gentle urging to let that go to forgive myself to learn whatever he wanted to teach me to grow but to forgive myself and then I began to blame the other person and resentment took hold and in my resentment I was aware of how angry I was. I wanted justice. I wanted to be vindicated. And then on a walk alone, ruminating on the offense, going over it, the offense that I had become trapped by, I realized to my horror that what I wanted was for them to suffer to the degree that I was suffering. And in that moment of ugly realization, Jesus reminded me of his tortured, stripped raw, beaten, bloody, and shredded back right before being nailed to the cross. And he asked me, is this suffering enough? Humbled, I answered yes. Yes, it is. I instantly forgave them and I forgave myself. I forgave myself for falling for the bait and holding on to a grudge because that is not who I am. Wanting someone else to hurt, that is not me. We can forgive. Dear ones, because his blood is enough. Because of him, yes, we say it again. We can forgive. The old has gone. The new has come. Remember, the old actually has to go in order for the new to come. Christmas comes, and Christmas goes. The year gets sung out with old lang syne. Winter holds the earth in its icy grip, and then a daffodil breaks forth, proclaiming its end. Spring blooms, and summer scorches, and autumn bursts and falls to the ground, and here we are again in the cold. We have to pay attention to the story unfolding around us every single day. Life, death, resurrection. In Christ, no ending is forever. No wound is out of the reach of his healing. Yes, for now, time marches on. Time here is our fleeting gift. I don't know how many days I have been given, and neither do you, but I do know that by spending them in regret, my fist clenched to hold on to the goodness I do know prevents me from receiving the good gifts that God has in store for me. God has given golden nuggets in the midst of the bleakest of times. He's been lavish, and he doesn't change. If he's been generous and kind and good in the past— Won't he remain so in the future? Yes. Yes, he will. Time spent remembering who God is, what he's like, and what he's done breathes life into my soul, whether my soul feels green or frozen. Time letting his living word wash over me infuses me with life and hope. It's the water and food that we all crave. I need to remember the goodness that has been. I need to remember who God is and who I am to him. I need to remember his promises. His promises help me to step forward with faith, with hope, and with love. We are living now in the in-between days, the already and the not yet. The scriptures tell us we are now seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus, and it's true but we still walk and navigate this world with clay feet. We are, and we are becoming. We are on our way. And in this tightrope experience, what balancing rod do we hold on to? Our failures or our future glory? Regret or faith? Resentment or forgiveness? Our Jesus has declared the work finished. Our God who sees the end from the beginning is not disappointed, nor is he surprised. He doesn't regret his choice to rescue us, nor resent the cost he paid to do it. Our work now is to believe him, to marinate our hearts and minds in the truth of the gospel, to agree with God and let it change the way we see to let our experiences be understood based on the deepest reality of the universe. We are children of the living God, holy and cherished in his sight. Bless you, friends. Hold on to the truth. You really are the one that has captivated Jesus' heart. Till next time. Bye for now. Hi everyone, this is Stacey Burton, the producer of the Captivated Podcast. If you've been a regular listener, you've heard the encouraging teachings offered and the incredible conversations Stacy has had with her guests. So wherever you listen, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. May you be filled with the goodness of his love today, and we look forward to having you join us next time.